we just rock up, Karen gets the sewing machine out, I open the tool roll and we just say bring it on and it just all unfolds and they say oh that wasn't hard was it and they're surprised that's what we like to encourage that it's not hard it's easy to do if you get down and get together and it all just unfolds we do have sometimes the occasion where we go to launch events and before the launch events they may say oh no we don't want you to come because we mightn't do it right you go around to all these places and see how wonderful everyone is but if you come to our first event it might be a mess or nobody might turn up they're the events we really like to go to and encourage that they turn around their thinking on that because we are experienced just going in setting up and going with it nothing much phases us we have the skills to be able to just run with it welcome to restart radio i'm dave pickering and i make a monthly podcast for the restart project The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In today's episode, I got up really early in the morning to prepare to talk to two people who are on the other side of the world. For me, this conversation began in darkness, but as we talked, the sun rose. For Karen and Danny, it was evening and the sun wasn't even thinking about setting. The conversation was recorded on Karen's birthday, so we're really grateful that they gave up some of the time that they could have been celebrating to talk to me, to share their story and to reflect on the work that they've been doing in Australia. The Restart Project know Karen and Danny, who operate under the name Mend It Australia, through their lively social media presence. We've been in touch with them through writing, and we wish that they could have attended FixFest in Germany last year. So we were really excited to be finally speaking to them directly. From my point of view, talking to Karen and Danny was like talking to old friends. And this conversation was a wonderful way for me to start my day. Well, hello there, Dave. I'm Karen Ellis, and I'm the other half of Mendit Australia, and we're affectionately known as the Tinkering Travellers because we travel around to the various community repair events. We don't organise them. We have done in the past. However, we don't do that now. We retired and decided to hit the road, hit the back roads here in Australia and travel around helping other communities to mend, fix and repair their things. And I'm Danny Ellis. I'm the other half, of course, and uh, I'm here to support Karen. And Karen's here to support me. And I love getting my hands dirty and getting in there and working on whatever's put in front of me. I really love what you guys are doing. And it's very heartening to hear you both supporting each other and doing such important work. At Restart, we've learned about your tinkering travels, to use the affectionate term, on the internet. But it's great to be finally talking to you and to be learning more about your activism and your adventures. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you spend your time travelling and tinkering? We 
spend most weekends travelling in our station wagon to Victorian events at this stage. We haven't actually hit the road and gone outside our state as yet. Last year we were meaning to, but Danny hurt his back at work, so we had to stay close to home for various reasons, mostly medical reasons. That doesn't stop us tinkering, though. It doesn't stop Danny tinkering. He just has to take it a little bit easier. So we've tinker travelled to 43 community repair events this year. So that is nearly one every weekend. And wow. yeah, it's it's quite a few, isn't it? And the previous year we did 31. So in 2018, we did 31 and we really wanted to better it in 2019. We just didn't think we would do so many more. However, it becomes a little bit addictive. Yes, yes. And (laughs) (laughs) it's great fun. We meet all sorts of people. We get into all sorts of different communities that we mightn't even go to normally. And They welcome us with open arms, which is wonderful. And we can go in and we don't have the pressure of actually organising the events. And we do travel up to maybe 100 kilometres, up to 400 kilometres in the day. I think we've even done a 500 kilometre trip in a day. So we do clock over to kilometres. But Karen and I have fun getting there and we have fun getting home. And uh, and we had fun while we're there, so it's a good day all around, Dave. We take a packed lunch and we take our thermos. We live a very simple life, a make-do and men life, so we're not spending a lot of money on the road. Our biggest expense is petrol, of course. We see that being offset a bit. You know, there might be sort of an argument that, gosh, you know, you're travelling all this way to repair things and the carbon emissions really, you know, are more in the car, I suppose, but... We get a lot of satisfaction doing it. It's good for our mental health and well-being. It's good to share the joy of repair. So that's very important too, we believe. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful to hear about it. It feels like a brilliant topic for a film in lots of ways. Because <laughs> I, I imagine it's also, you know, there's there's lots of funny and moving adventure-filled moments as well as the kind of practical getting about stuff. And, and meeting the new people in different places sounds like a really exciting thing to do, even if you take that away from the really important work you're doing in terms of getting people's relationship with mending stuff to be a different one and, and all of the kind of environmental positives of what you're doing if you put that to one side there's just a a wonderful human story going on oh thank you yes and we feel that there is that human story and yes we could make a movie dave (laughs) (laughs) don't give karen ideas she she loves putting up uh videos but the people that you meet all that we want to do is try and inspire them to see that it can be done and hopefully they take a bit of uh, encouragement from us and I believe a lot of them do because we do get the odd comment that oh how's this going to happen how's it going to go and we just rock up Karen gets the sewing machine out I open a tool roll and we just say bring it on and it just all unfolds and they'd say oh that wasn't hard was it and they're surprised that's what we like to encourage that it's not hard it's easy to do if you get 
Dion can get together and it all just unfolds. We do have sometimes the occasion where we go to launch events and before the launch events they may say, oh no, we don't want you to come because we mightn't do it right. You go around to all these places and see how wonderful everyone is but if you come to our first event it might be a mess or nobody might turn up. They're the events we really like to go to and encourage that they turn around their thinking on that because we are experienced just going in, setting up and going with it. Nothing much phases us. We have the skills to be able to just run with it together and it does instill a little bit more confidence, I think, in them once they see what we're about. Right. I can see how that would work. So where did this idea come from to begin with? What made you decide to do this? Well, that's not a really great story, Dave. That's the sad part, the negative part of our story, I guess. We live in a lower socioeconomic area of Melbourne, on the fringes of Melbourne out west. And we wanted to do repair, mending and fixing in our local community initially. And in 2012, we approached our local council to actually do a repair cafe and combine it with the local tip or dump shop. We thought that was a really great idea. We'd been following the repair cafe movement in the Netherlands since it started, actually. And so that was my idea. And I just approached them with that. It would have been the first repair cafe in Australia had the municipality accepted it the council accepted it but they didn't really want to do it they weren't interested for whatever reason and so it went quiet we tried again in 2016-17 to get it into the local library and uh, they said no by that stage we had run a few with the local health service, a few repair cafes with the local health service that were quite successful. For whatever reason, we split with the local health service. I won't go into that. And uh, we approached the council to do a repair cafe in the local libraries. They said no again. So that's when I thought in my head, no's not good enough. This movement really is going to grow and we want to be at the forefront of it. So how can we do it without including the bureaucrats and having to go to the bureaucrats and plead our case virtually? And that's when I came up with the idea of, well, let's hit the road and what are we going to call ourselves? We'll call ourselves Mended Australia because we plan to tinker travel around Australia. And that's what we did. And we set our minds to it and we said, it doesn't matter what it costs. This is what we want to do. This is our passion. It's been our passion since childhood to mend, fix and repair both of us. And we don't want to be stopped by anyone wanting to share our skills in this area, especially as now we're retired. We're seniors and we have a lot to offer and that's why we go to other municipalities, why our municipality isn't on board. I think it's just a culture, the culture of the place, the culture of the bureaucracy, the culture of the agencies and organisations. We've approached our local MP, had a meeting with him. He hasn't really gotten back with anything and I keep on to him about that and I won't stop either. However, we probably won't really want to do it in our local council area or our municipality now. However, we won't stop the fight because there might be somebody else that 
does want to do it. And we've got the experience, we've got the know-how, we've got the passion to be able to keep campaigning for it, I guess, in all neighbourhoods, including our own. It's just that we mightn't do it in our own neighbourhood, Dave. Probably not now. Right. I mean, it can be complicated. Yeah. I mean, I can understand if you've had struggles within your local area, then you aren't necessarily the ideal people to take it on at this point. Yes. And I can relate to that. I used to work in the libraries, actually. So when you're talking about trying to get it into the libraries, it's really sad to me that that couldn't happen. I think local libraries make so much sense as a place for for fixing to happen because they are supposedly community centres and, you know, an important backbone of communities. And libraries need to keep alive but I mean it's great that out of all of this frustration you've built something positive and something that you can actually do rather than just getting put off yes thank you mentioned that you both in your childhood began fixing can you tell us a little bit more about that what made you get started and why did you carry on I guess well my mother always said to me that whenever I got a toy it was a part within five minutes so it was just something that I did from day one and I really loved the mechanical and later I got into electrical and not much electronics. So I try and I have had some success, but I like the mechanical side of anything. I just see how it works and I did a very mechanical trade. Hopefully there's enough people out there that would know what a liner type and inner type is because I'm a liner type mechanic by trade, which is in the printing area. I worked for a, one of the city newspapers here in Melbourne, The Age. Thomas Edison called it the eighth wonder of the world. So... They're a very complicated machine and um, I was the last apprentice that was put on. So that's supposedly my claim to fame. I'll take that, I think, Dave. I always loved getting out helping Dad when he was working on the car. Not so much in the garden. That, that wasn't me. Didn't have the green thumb there or laying out garden beds or anything like that. But picking up a screwdriver or a hammer or anything like that, I was always first there. My brothers never had the same aptitude, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Back in the day, I went to a tech school, and back then, the tech schools covered woodworking, plumbing, fitting and turning, tech drawing, and all that sort of stuff, which unfortunately, it's not really here today. It's sort of here in a form, but not like it was back then when all the kids at tech got their hands dirty. There was none of this risk-adverse stuff. The teacher stood over you while you actually turned a machine on, but you were the one that was actually operating it. I think that's got a lot to do with it and why people today just don't get involved anymore because they're taught from day one, oh, don't do that, don't touch that, you know, you're not qualified. But I think if we can alter that mindset to say, well, the only way you're going to learn is by actually having it going or, or do it, I think that's what Mend of Australia tries to do. I'm quite happy to hand a screwdriver over to someone if they say, I'd like to have a go. Quite happy to do that. Dave, and uh, that really um, pleases me. And, you know, mostly it's women that ask to have a go. That's really good. I really enjoy that. Danny's also got electrical skills, and that also is very interesting in our environment in Australia, which might be a little bit different, and Danny might like to talk to that. When my uh, trade finished up and computers took over the whole printing industry, I fixed photocopiers for two years, got 
two days training and said, out you go, son, you'll work it all out. And that sort of introduced me into electrical electronics back in the mid-80s. And then I um, got a job in the railways as an electrician's assistant, got a restricted electrical licence, and I built up my electrical skills there because you were given a lot of responsibility. I I was in charge of all the, or I won't say in charge, but I was responsible for uh, repairing all the lighting in the underground stations and tunnels and we've only got three underground stations here in Melbourne that was enough to keep a few guys employed that gave me the ability and the confidence to know that if you do the right thing with electricity it doesn't hurt you if you don't it will a lot of people don't see that you you know if I haven't got a ticket oh you don't know anything about it and um, I beg to differ there because you can learn especially from your peers and even people that got certificates. And thankfully, I've been to a few places where there have been electricians and they've been more than happy to pass their information and skill on to you because they can see by the way you work that... You're competent. You're competent. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen with the bureaucrats. They they want to see a piece of paper. Yes, uh, with myself, I grew up in a household where my mother was always sewing. She wasn't uh, a trained seamstress, but she sewed a lot, had worked in the rag trade. And I guess just by osmosis, I was uh, exposed to fabrics and cottons and buttons and a large Singer sewing machine, you know, sitting in the kitchen. So I was never afraid to use a sewing machine we had one as kids in our room it was a heavy vintage sewing machine cast iron that you couldn't hardly move so it just sat there and mum was never looking over us she just here you go here's the machine go off make your dolls clothes whatever she was mainly called in when we got things all tangled up and <laughs> and uh, needles broke or whatever happened so that's what I do I do the textiles at the repair cafes, just basic mending. I'm not a seamstress either, but I feel confident to do basic mending. And also I can troubleshoot the sewing machines. Danny troubleshoots the mechanical issues, problems, but I can troubleshoot the tension and threading issues to do with sewing machines. And preferably we both prefer the vintage sewing machines. They bring in their plastic ones and they can be troubleshooted for tension and for threading, but they're very, very hard to really look at from a mechanical perspective for Danny because they're really meant to be thrown away. However, the cast iron, what are they, cast iron? Cast iron. Cast iron and heavier sewing machines are wonderful pieces of of equipment. They're a joy to actually sew with. Unfortunately, Dave, they're just too heavy to cart along to repair events. Hearing about your separate relationships with mending shows how you are a brilliant team. You've come from these different traditions of mending within the sewing machine that demonstrates how you both are bringing different different sets of knowledge to this i mean it's again it it adds to this idea in my mind that it would make a brilliant film (laughs) oh yes (laughs) yes you're inspiring us we just have to find a director dave i'm very lucky to have denny to be able to uh, be my sewing machine mechanic at home right and they all know around the traps that he's the sewing machine man so they say when's the sewing machine man coming along to repair cafe the other thing to Dave is that we actually get requests online and we have actually 
been successful. People send queries over to us. Oh, this isn't working or that's not working. And they ask for our advice and we've had a couple of successes just via that. I don't want, you know, 100 people trying to contact us tomorrow, but we're quite chuffed when we have a success story like that. A woman with an overlocker who was seized had been in storage 10 years. Stuff you just pick up. I heard someone speaking how they used a hairdryer and I said to this woman, put your hairdryer down because she had taken the base off. I said, put your hairdryer and warm the metal up down below because all the oil has gummed up and if you heat it up it'll soften and you'll be able to free it up and she got back online she said it worked it worked (laughs) so she was wrapped and just that little bit of information you can pass on you don't actually have to work on it but you can pass on the information and this gets back to the traveling tinkerers that's what we always try and do when we get out there with the community we always try and pass on skills or information or, oh, yeah, that happened to us back whenever and that's a very vital part of what we do too, Dave. Southeast Australia is getting a lot of attention from the world right now as we speak due to the unprecedented bushfires burning out of control and the link that those fires have with the kind of global crisis of climate that we're all experiencing to a greater or lesser degree. Do you think that climate change serves as a motivator for volunteers at repair cafes in Australia at the moment? I don't know if we've actually asked them that question and if I was going to sort of assume maybe hazard a guess I would say yes in certain ways it's doing that by probably more directly people thinking of saving stuff from landfill perhaps and that assists with helping the climate change effort by saving stuff You're not manufacturing items, so that helps with the climate change effort. So I think people do have that bigger picture. I I do believe that. Maybe not all of them. Maybe not all of them believe in climate change. I really don't know, Dave, but I think that people are trying to do their own little bit for the environment. In their patch. In, In their patch, I don't know if that answers your question or not. Maybe with the fires, it may be brought home even more. We finished up with repair cafes early December here. They don't come back until February. So maybe people will have a different sense of why we're doing this. Danny and I are certainly doing it for the climate change reason and other reasons as well. Yeah, so maybe there will be a bit of a shift and we will have have to probably be assisting communities in some way, shape or form related to repair, mending, rebuilding. We're not really quite sure yet how that will pan out for us personally or for communities, what they'll do. Yeah, unfortunately, Dave, and I don't want to get too political and I won't, but I I really believe that my motivation as well as the climate is we've got to get government and corporate change to get the climate into a better position and that's what I like to be active in is trying to inform these two sectors that what they're doing isn't sustainable. They always get back to the economy and the dollar. 
That's all they worry about. Oh, but if we don't do that, there'll be no jobs. And if we haven't got a planet, there's certainly not going to be any jobs. But they just don't get it. It's all about we've got to keep growing and growing and growing. But you've got to get to a point where you've got to look at the bigger picture and say, we're not going to look at tomorrow. We're going to look at what's going to be there in 15 to 50 years. But no, corporate just needs that endless amount of dollars coming in all the time and... Um, when we, when we get active online, or when I get active online, I'm, I'm always trying to stress that point that the corporate world doesn't really care about the rest of the world, unfortunately, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> when, when we were prohibited from doing what we wanted to share in our local community, we really did have that bigger picture in mind, that climate picture in mind. I don't think our local bureaucrats would have even imagined that we had that bigger picture in mind. I think they just thought we were being nuisances, rocking the status quo, questioning their no. We'll always ask why. We don't really respond well to just a no. But it was certainly that bigger picture in mind that we have to teach these resilient skills. It's just so important. And I guess I liken that to an article I read about surgeons are coming in, being trained up, and they don't know how to stitch. That was an article out of the States. And that really sort of took me back. And I thought, my goodness, this is exactly what I'm saying to these local bureaucrats. Kids don't know how to sew on a button. And then if they want to be a surgeon, you know, one day, that they won't know how to thread a needle, how to stitch. And you could say, well, that could be taught and it could be taught easily. But what they're saying is even their manual dexterity, their fine motor skills are not like they used to be in generations gone by because now it's all just on a screen. I think our idea just might have been too creative, too innovative for the status quo of a very staid bureaucracy, staid sort of culture that needs to shift its backside and get more sustainable. We're, we're in an area that's not known for its sustainability. There are other areas around Melbourne, more inner city, and some of the more tree outer suburban suburbs that are more trendy, more hippie, but we're in a very staid environment, a very, what would you call it, Danny, uh, the status quo from years gone by culture and I guess the um, the bureaucrats don't move they they haven't moved for, for many many years the elected officials are, have they been there for years and years the councillors for years you might have a few changes but it's the same people in executive roles and elected roles so I think we might have some hope on the horizon Dave with uh, those people hopefully retiring and new blood coming in and this move you know with the environment and what's going on we're taking full advantage of this time it seems a bit sad to do that but we certainly are to campaign a little bit for a shift in how we do things and I think there are quite a few people that are probably around the world doing the same thing with the Australian fires they're saying right this is you know enough's enough we're seeing it worldwide they're standing up they're stepping up for Australia and I think Australians hopefully are going to get their heads out of the sand and uh, start questioning a lot of what's been happening. I don't know if Danny 
is hopeful. Are you? Danny's not hopeful. He's shaking his head. No, they'll just go back to doing the same old, same old. We got too many sheep here. Too many sheep here, Dave. Right, it's a complicated thing. I think there's 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 sheep in a lot of places. If you see what I mean. Yes, yes. I mean, this is this is a devastating wake up call. You would hope. What's happening in Australia is one of many global wake up calls. Let's hope we wake up. Let's hope we actually pay attention to these devastating events. Which you know, yes, yeah, sure, it's a bit late but we need to start making changes like you say government and corporate people are the people we we most need to listen To circle back to sort of what we were talking about before, if when you're doing mending events, you're not really hearing much about the climate, what are the motivators that that bring people to your repair events? A lot of people have items they've had in their wardrobes for a while, either sentimental or they believe it still has value. And they just really come along to see if it can be fixed. Also useful items. And yes, yes, useful useful Mm. items. Mostly, they're too good to throw away. There are a fair percentage that do worry about it going into landfill. They want to try and keep it out. They are aware of that, Dave. I don't really hear, or I haven't heard anyone sort of mention the climate, to be honest. They are very much aware of of things. Not being wasteful. Not being wasteful. Yeah, not being wasteful and things being made cheap to break. We get that a lot. That's another reason they bring things in is to find out if it can be fixed, even though it's cheap. They don't mind that. They don't want to go out and buy another $15 kettle if it can be fixed because it's just going to encourage the manufacturers to keep making cheap kettles. So if you can keep them out of landfill, prolong its life, you're sort of defeating them in a way, these corporate bullies that are allowed to get away with making the terminal appliances. Same with fast fashion. From the textiles point of view, we pretty much only get fast fashion and it's a sign of the times, isn't it? And and I wouldn't want to be working on anyone's culture ball gown or anything, so I'm glad we only do get uh, simple things and not too expensive things to fix. But they're still worth keeping out of landfill. If they're your comfy leggings and the seams just come apart, why not whip up the seam, fix it up, and they can wear those for another 12 months rather than going off to Kmart or Woolies. I don't know what the equivalent is over there. And buying another $5 pair and those leggings, the leggings that were fixed, they would have gone into landfill here in Australia. Textiles go to landfill or you know, get exported as rags or whatever overseas. Yeah, very few that are donated get into the opportunity or thrift shops. It's great to be able to say, look, this cheap stuff can be fixed. I'm so glad you brought it in. I think that changes the mindset in people. Danny and I have also been campaigning state and federal and local governments, probably heavily now for a year. And we've had some successes, we believe. We might never know it was personally us, but we're going to take some credibility for it. We haven't stopped. At the local level, we met some MPs. And at the state level, we've finally got into a document that's called the um, Victorian Waste 
and Recycling Recovery Report for 2019. So that's Victorian. Finding 25 in that, we've finally had the ministers who were overseeing the parliamentary hearings into waste and resource recovery recognise that repair cafes here have been quite successful and that they want to support those going forward. Now, that's a start. And before that report came out, we were tweeting the pollies to address the issue at the parliamentary inquiry. So it was great to see that finding in the report. However, that's not legislated yet, but it will go to relevant areas to be looked at to be transferred hopefully into legislation. And at the national level, there's also been movement there where product stewardship and right to repair was put on the agenda for the first time here in Australia. So I know you're a long way ahead there. Well, you know, with a bit of campaigning, not just from us, but others, that's on the national agenda and has come out on in a national report. So hopefully we'll see repair cafes getting more support here in Australia. Any fixed event that pops up or gets established, that's what we want to see is support, whether it's local council or state funding, you know, rooms supplied, equipment supplied. Um, insurance paid for. Insurance paid for. That's a big problem here, um, Dave. We always come across that. Test and tag course, I've done one of those. I'm not a big fan of them, but that's what you've got to do to get further here. All that's put into a package where people could go to their local council or whatever and say, we want to start a, a repair event or fix it event, repair cafes, whatever you want to call them. Right, we've got this much funding. This is what we can do for you. Away you go. It's just like a men's shed or a soccer club, whatever. You just go down there, you can start one up and collect your members and off you go. That's what we'd like to see and that's what we're trying to encourage when we go to these repair events all around the state as well. We keep telling people, you can do it. Just start. That's all you need to do is just start. As long as you get people out there advertising it and getting it out on social media, you'll get people turning up. You might only get one the first time. They'll spread the word, oh, I got my uh, iron fix or I got my jumper repaired. The word spreads. It does get out there. But as we were saying, it's not enough. The government need to fund some of these activities to ensure sustainability. That's what we've been trying to look at in because we do submissions also to um, state government here. Danny and myself, we sit down and do submissions, making these recommendations to parliamentary inquiries. So, yeah, we're fairly active. We at Restart have counted repair cafes in Australia. It seems like 41 are there on the Repair Cafe Foundation website. But then we also know about other groups like Repair Lab in Perth. How joined up are the repair groups across Australia? And is there an umbrella organisation to help the grassroots come together if the government isn't helping in that kind of way? No, there's really nothing here that oversees the movement like we have all different sorts, as you said, like the repair labs, the fixer cafes. We're not just doing the one model, which is good, really. We quite uh, like that people take the initiative and do different things. Uh, that's our personal opinion. But no, uh, you could say, well, repair cafe, you know, is international. It oversees the, but that only oversees repair cafes. And because we're so far away, you know, it's not the same as in Europe. The support, well, we don't think, in our opinion, 
the support's not the same as in Europe. There is a real lack of coordination. It's all fragmented. And we know that because we go to the various repair cafes and we're all just basically working in silos. Right. Maybe there's people out there listening to this who can kind of reach out and fill some of the areas that need filling. Like you are only two people and you can't do every kind of part of this. So in terms of the movement in Australia in general, how's that looking? Is it growing in terms of the kind of right to repair movement as well? How is that going? Yeah, um, no, not that I know of, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty much over it, over the area of right to repair. Again, I'm retired and I, and I don't want to be taking on that movement or getting too deep into it, but I do follow it quite closely. There is a repair cafe come not-for-profit in Sydney called The Bower. The Bower has been going for 20 years, not as a repair cafe, but as a, a sort of a resource recovery um, not-for-profit. They started the first repair cafe here in Australia in 2015. They did a petition for the right to repair and that did the rounds in Australia. And I think they got the year of some pollies. You know, noises were made. And as I said, we've got onto the national agenda through a Greens MP from Canberra. He stuck it on, but I don't know who he was listening to. But it's all very fragmented. And that's the annoying thing, Dave. That's what happens. Politicians get an idea into their head. Oh, look, we've got to make sure we dispose of it properly. That's the end of the problem. Let's look at the beginning. That's where your problem starts. Let's start getting these manufacturers producing better quality stuff that doesn't fail after two years and can be fixed. That's where they've got to legislate, not at the back end. They've got to get in at the front end. And that's what annoys me so much about politicians and lobby groups. Lobby groups, especially for the manufacturers, will fight tooth and nail No, we can't do that. We can't have people fixing things because it's for their safety. Why not? Stop putting security screws in. Just let us have access to spare parts and make them fixable. That's how they fix the back end of their problem. Don't legislate that we've got to get rid of them this particular way. Let's legislate that they've got to be made this particular way. That's how we solve some of the problems. Yeah, and that's to do with product stewardship, better design and uh, providing spare parts and providing manuals and providing schematics. You know, we're aware of that here and uh, there is talk of it and how we need to move towards it. I just want to go back on one thing, Dave. When you were talking to Karen about the repair movement here in Australia, the strongest state is Victoria. The majority of those repair events happen in Victoria. There's something like 30-odd in Victoria compared to the other states. Most of them are in single figures, I think. So we are lucky that we are in a state that's heading in the right direction. I just hope the other states catch up. It's interesting, though, to hear you you talking about Europe in this kind of way, really, because I guess it's a little bit like what you were saying about different states. There'll be different countries within Europe that are doing better, like the Nordic countries that you mentioned, and there'll be other countries that have a lot further to go to. Yes. Whilst I, I recognise that, that maybe there are, are things that Australia or 
states in Australia can can learn from Europe. I also don't want us to think of Europe as doing it well yet. You know, there's a there's a repair a repair movement in Europe for a reason. There's a uh, there's people fighting for the right to repair in Europe for a reason. So yes. I, I just wanted to sort yes, of mention yes. that really, I guess. Yes, I, I I think you know we we sort of gather gather that, but you are you are ahead over there. <laughs> <laughs> you are ahead over there, and of course the states have been you know fighting for the right to repair too and we look to that as well. Getting back to Mended Australia, it's a it's a wonderful way for retirees to actually contribute into their community without or into communities without maybe getting bogged down in individual sort of repair cafes. So we would recommend it to anybody that's a bit of a grey nomad that wants to go off and do some uh, tinkering and some repairing to give it a go. They'll be most welcome, and it, it's just it keeps you very active, keeps you very young thinking. I think right, and it's it's beautiful that like it's the perfect time for an alliance I think between people who are retiring and have these skills and young people who are facing an uncertain future who don't have these skills can kind of come together as two separate movements and like share those skills and that knowledge that the people maybe in the middle are, are kind of lacking in some ways and I include myself within those people in the middle sadly <laughs> yes fueled by packed lunches and car journeys Karen and Danny have turned their local frustrations into a repair revolution in their home state of Victoria. And through social media, they've shared their journey and inspired people across the world. The Restart Project looks forward to seeing the repair movement in Australia come together in the future and for Australia to join the campaign for the right to repair. And we're certain that Karen and Danny will be there, being authentic ambassadors for grassroots change. What they're doing is inspiring, and their activism is incredibly important. But also, one of the things that I really took away from talking to them is how much joy they experience both in terms of the satisfaction that they get through fixing things and in terms of the stories and people that they find through their journeys, the friendship and warmth that they get from what they do. And as we face the global challenges in front of us, I think it's going to be important to have joy within the mix. Sometimes change can be hard. But it's important to remember that change can also be enjoyable. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to Janet from the Restart Project, who did the research and planning 
for this episode. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody. 